All right, that said, so, and also especially kind of, and thinking about uh, the events of this past week, uh, I wanted to start with a, a quote from uh, Lorenzo Snow, and actually it was one that we saw in the manual uh, from lessons being taught yesterday. But I wanted to, to bring this out and get your, get your response, get your reaction. There is no other way in which the saints can make spiritual improvement and be prepared for an inheritance in the celestial kingdom than through tribulation. It is the process by which knowledge is increased and peace will ultimately be established universally. Take it individually or take it collectively. We have suffered and we shall suffer again. And why? Because the Lord requires at our hands, the Lord requires it at our hands for our sanctification. Why, why is that? You go, can't we, can't we do this without the tribulation piece? Wouldn't that be more better? Why would the Lord require it? Yeah. Yes. Ah, okay. Brings brings the experience to us. Okay. Why else? Yeah. It comes from placement. Our natural man does naturally kind of want to be complacent. Does kind of want to rest, be okay, not be pushed very much. I think I think there's a certain amount of complacency that we have to be reminded of. About that. Okay? I think it's interesting when it talks about um, it is the process by which knowledge is increased. Knowledge of what? Our knowledge of who? Yes. It is the knowledge by which we come to understand and meet God, right? Isn't, isn't that what, uh, what uh, Sister Unthank, who went through the um, Martin Hancock experience, talked about? It was in our extremities that we met God, that we saw Him and we understood Him. It's also coming to know ourselves, uh, proving ourselves to us. You know, are we going to be worthy? It is a knowledge that we will be, that we'll stay faithful, that we'll hang in there. Okay, I think that's true. Yeah. I read a quote somewhere and I didn't have time yesterday to find it when I thought about it during the lesson. But that our true self comes out in how we react. To tribulation. Ah. That our true self is revealed to us in, in tribulation. I think that's true. We may think that we're fine, we may think that we're doing all tribulation, we kind of find out who we really are. Okay? It's, I mean, sometimes it's been said, under tribulations, you find out who your friends are. I think that part is also certainly true. And that's certainly going to be the case of what we're about to discuss.
you know, the, 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 fun, the, the amazing thing is when we're on the receiving end of what seems like an abnormal amount of tribulation, we keep wondering why it is that we're being so blessed. Uh, and, it just, uh, and it does seem, sometimes you look at families or groups and they seem to have an abnormal amount of the tribulation as far as, you know, health problems or those kind of things. But, but sometimes I think there is a possibility here that we can certainly learn from others. <clears throat> Yeah. It is his chance to bless us. Yeah, I think that's true. And that's part of how we come to know him, isn't it? Is that gives us a chance to uh, to kind of reach out uh, a little bit. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Say, say that again a little bit louder, John, for them to hear. It's, it's knowledge that fire will burn, but it's increased knowledge to know that in remembering the blister. See, I think that's where wisdom kicks in. Yeah, that's the wisdom. That, that, that's wisdom that we have learned and understood those lessons. Because sometimes we see people that go through tribulation and never learn and keep repeating it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what? The other thing that I've come to find, and it's maybe because of, of what I do professionally, I also know that if you simply judge tribulation by how what people say in sacrament meeting, or what they say on Facebook, you haven't got a clue of the real tribulation generally that they're going through. Yeah. I'd say it's the way that uh, Heavenly Father steers us down our path, too. It causes us to take turns. To get us to places where we need to be, where we wouldn't have gone there without the tribulation. And that would be in the church if it wasn't for tribulation. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Yeah. If we are to become like God, and Jesus will suffer all. All. What is our goal? Yeah. Okay, hang on to the hang on to these ideas. Okay, hang on uh, as we kind of step forward here, uh, because uh, now here's the here's the struggle for me as a as kind of a church history uh, buff uh, fanatic. I am aware. I am painfully aware of all the history we're about to jump over. I could easily do three or four lessons on the period of time from the death of the prophet simply to the receiving of section 136. There's a rich history of the church at its most vulnerable. The church that is hanging out. Uh, I wish we had time to do it. But I'm also aware too that there are some beautiful doctrinal nuggets and that this is not a history class. And I don't want to miss the, the doctrinal pieces that leap out at us in, the, in these next things. But I, so I'm going to go over the history kind of quickly. 
and then we can, and so we, we have all this to be in historical context. Okay. Um, first of all, with the death of the prophet Joseph, uh, June 27, 1844, uh, now the big question is, who's in charge? Joseph himself, I think, for a number of years, was not quite sure how succession would happen after his death. And we have a number of areas. At one point, he believed that Hiram should be. Uh, at another point, he believed that it should be one of his sons. In other words, he's looking at the Book of Mormon where there was a patriarchal line and wondered if it should be that. Uh, it becomes very clear by March of 1844 that he knows that secession is through the Quorum of the Twelve. And that he's rolling up all of the things onto the shoulders of the twelve. But that was uh, not really said very loudly, so there was some confusion. Uh, the first counselor was Sidney Rigdon. Where was Sidney Rigdon? Because he just excommunicated his second counselor, William Law. Sidney Rigdon was in Pennsylvania. Uh, Joseph never quite could let go of the fact that Sidney had abandoned them after when they were going to the Liberty Jail that Sidney had said that he had suffered more than Christ. And it was a horrible thing. And, and, and the judge let him go and they passed the hat for poor Sidney uh, so that he would have money to get out of Dodge. You know, and Joseph felt like they had, his loyalty had been found wanting. And, and then he says, I don't necessarily want him back as a counselor. The church wanted him back in. He says, I have not wanted him, but you have stuck me with him basically and I will. Eventually, Sydney moves to Pennsylvania, and that's going to play a major role in what now happens. Where are the twelve? They're on the east coast. They are. They are. They are campaigning for the Prophet Joseph for the presidential campaign, and also there's a belief that Joseph got them out of town before before the martyrdom to save their lives. Okay. So now you have this vacuum. Right after, the, and, and here comes the. The big uh, funeral procession, uh, the song praise to the man is now sung for the first time, and now they are in for the next month this major fun trying to decide who's in charge. Brigham is hustling back as fast as he can go. He's gathering the, the, the rest of the brethren of the twelve, they're hustling back. But the first one in the town is Sidney Rigdon. Uh, we now get to the first week of August. Uh, Sidney gets into town and he says uh, and he starts saying brothers and sisters I had a vision an angel appeared to me on June 27th to say that the prophet Joseph had been killed that he and the keys had been taken into heaven I'm now supposed to be the guardian of the church and so I'm going to take over as guardian because nobody will ever be present the fascinating, as I've mentioned before, the fascinating fact is that he did know on June 27, 1844, that Joseph had been killed. No telegraph, no telephones, no texting. Yeah, he did. So what we really get is that there was an angel, of, he received an angel of light. Susan Easton Black, church historian, believes that he did have a vision. He knew before anybody else that that had occurred. So now he's hustling back, he's seen an angel... Uh, he gets into town and they set up a meeting for like two days hence. To, they're going to find out 
He's going to talk to the people. Brigham and the brethren show up the, the day before. You know, cloud of dust. Here's the, here they are. Uh, oh, by the way, there's a meeting tomorrow with Brother Rigdon, and he's saying, and President Marks, the state president, is on board. Uh, and so this is that moment, okay, that, that uh, we, we know about. Uh, they, will, they will meet in the Grove. Uh, Sidney will spend all morning explaining his case. Uh, at the end of almost two and a half hours of speech by Sidney Rigdon, uh, there's a little break. Uh, Brigham Young will stand up for just a couple of moments in the wagon and pull the wagon to the front of the grove. He's going to explain his case briefly, and then he will speak for a couple of hours in the afternoon. And we don't know if this event occurs when Brigham Young, before lunch or after lunch. But this is the one that we have uh, certainly heard about, where the mantle passes very visibly to Brigham in a way that most of the most of the saints could not miss. Whatever Brigham's words, whatever his appearance and manner, some that were present were startled by an occurrence that they regarded as miraculous. Benjamin Johnson, a young man of 26 said that he was seated between the stand and the wagon and that he turned from the wagon to face the stand. He saw Brigham stand up. But as soon as he spoke, I jumped from my feet for in every possible degree it was Joseph's voice and in his person, look, attitude, dress, and appearance. It was Joseph himself personified and I knew in a moment the spirit and mantle of Joseph was upon him. There's not one. There, there's a. There are about 110 contemporary reports of what people saw uh, of, of this event. In one case, there was a, a lady who was. Uh, well, let, let me read these and then I'll, I'll fill in the others. Uh, Mosiah Hancock, who only 14, although only a boy, I saw the mantle of the prophet Joseph rest on Brigham Young, and he arose lion-like to the occasion and led the people forth. George Q. Cannon, a boy of 15, declared it was the voice of Joseph himself, and it was not only the voice of Joseph that was heard, but it seemed in the eyes of the people that it was the very person of Joseph which stood before him. When Joseph was mobbed at, at John Johnson home in Hiram, Ohio, and they tried to, to force uh, poison into his mouth, Aquafortis, and, and they kept pounding away on him and he was clenching his teeth, they, they chipped one of his front teeth in that whole experience. And it left him with a little bit of a whistle, a little bit of a lisp. Okay? Many heard the lisp. They also said that Joseph had a, had a, a uh, mannerism that when he would get up to speak, he would, <coughs> he would kind of clear his throat. And then started speaking the list. They heard both. They heard the clearing of the voice and the list. They both saw and heard with their natural eyes and ears then the words that were uttered forth accompanied by the convincing power of God to their hearts and they were filled with the spirit of, of great joy. My own pioneer uh, ancestor, Arza Hinckley, was, was a boy of 17 at that meeting. He also recorded in his journal that he saw that. Uh, to sing. And, he, and he would write that in November of this of that year, just a, a few months from there. Um, there was another lady 
who was uh, minding her child. She had given her child something to play with. The child dropped it. She bent over to pick it up just as Brigham started talking and she heard Joseph's voice and jumped up. She thought he was back. And then saw Brigham. It was like, wow, he's... No, it's Brigham. Okay? The only, the only report that we have from Brigham is the fact that he would write, write in his journal that others saw that, but he himself was not really aware of that. Okay? And here's the other thing, and I guess here's the lesson in this. There were also many in this experience that saw nothing and heard nothing. Okay? Sometimes that is a testament to where we are. And on our own spiritual preparation. And our own spiritual gifts. Yeah, and those that perhaps needed that. Those for whom this was an additional help and a blessing. Wilford Woodruff Lane had stated, if I had not seen him with my own eyes, there is no one that could have convinced me that it was not Joseph Smith. Okay? It was from that moment then that most knew that Brigham was in charge and that the mantle... And think of what, what what's the mantle? Where do we get the word mantle from? A lamp? No. It's from Elijah. A mantle from Elijah to Elisha to, to transfer that power was a was a heavy coat, cloak. Okay, and even in in, in uh, Catholicism and some and Greek Orthodox, there is a there's a cloak. And, and think about the uh, in uh, monarchy that there is the, the purple robe that is put on there. That's the cloak of authority. Okay, and that's kind of what this is. That has been passed. Okay, uh, to to serve as a bishop is an interesting experience when you feel the mantle descend, and it's a very physical, visible or not visible feeling thing that you're taking on additional responsibility. In other callings, you guys have had those kind of experiences, I think, where you feel that responsibility now rests on you, sometimes before you're even set apart. Okay. So, we have this, this great experience, and now from that, but there are still 300 that will go with Sydney back to Pennsylvania. Uh, there are still others uh, that will follow uh, James Strange, who comes into town about March, saying that he, he's now the successor, and he will begin to bleed people off to Wisconsin, and he will become a much bigger problem to the saints that are traveling then than Sidney Rigdon. Like I say, I wish we really had time to... Okay, so now the, now pushing on, and part of what, what Brigham said in his time standing there with the mantle of Joseph on him was that he said, we must complete the temple. We must move forward. It becomes even much more important now without Joseph. We need the endowment that's waiting for us. Okay? So now, yeah. You want to know when Brigham Young was ordained uh, the prophet. Part of what's going to happen here is that the uh, Brigham is anxious to have the first presidency reorganized, uh, and but the but the twelve are still scattered, so he can't get the quorum of the twelve together long enough.
to get them set apart. So they will actually begin the, the westward trek under the direction of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Brigham's anxious to be have the First Presidency reorganized. They will get all the way out to, they get into Utah July 24th, uh, 1847. Uh, Brigham will stay in, in the valley about three weeks. He will then turn around and head back to Council Bluffs because he, to winter quarters to reorganize the twelve or to reorganize the, the first presidency. And it's, so it will be January, December, January of 1847-1848 when the first presidency is actually organized, making almost four years, three and a half years between the death of the prophet and the reorganization of the first presidency. The, uh, there will be January or December of 1847. They're back in. There's a great story there too. They will. They will. They will uh, be in Canesville, uh, which is on the other side of Winter Quarters. They will finally get the twelve together, and they will. He will say that he wants to reorganize the first presidency, and in that setting, the voice of God will shake that cabin. And there will be a rumble as they hear him speak to the twelve, and people will come running because they thought there was an earthquake. Great, great experience there, and that's and so that's actually been sustained in Kingsville, uh, January eighteen forty-eight. What's that? Uh, Heber C. and. Okay, so Nauvoo, uh, they're going to work on building the temple. Uh, now the problem is, is that for the uh, people in the surrounding area, uh, they thought they had killed Mormonism. It seems to be thriving. The temple is still building. Uh, they will now hold uh, in uh, 1845 what's called the Carthage Convention. Uh, they will actually have almost like a political meeting in Carthage to say... Uh, Mormon's got to go. Mormon's got to go, and, and the judges and the governor, nobody's going to stop this. Okay, I know this is not what we're talking about, but uh, Corey asked if Mormon was going to ordain. Yeah. Are they actually ordained as the proper or are they set apart? I mean, they already have all the kids. Right. So it's just, I'm just wondering, technically. Yeah, they're set apart. I mean, because they hold the keys, I believe. I hope I'm not speaking out of school. Yeah, they're all being prophets. Because we sustain them all as prophets, seers, and revelators. So now we're going and, to... And, and by the way, that, that setting apart is done by the, the next senior apostle. Uh, President Monson was, was set apart by Boyd K. Packer. Okay. Good questions. Good, good question. See, this was, this was the stuff that we now know. They didn't know that there was just this air of, what do we do? And, this, and, and also the thing he had sitting there in Nauvoo was the fact that Emma believed it should be her sons. I have to tell you that right up until, oh, about 18, as late as the late 1870s, uh, Joseph Smith III and his younger brother David Smith uh, will come into Utah on a missionary trip, and they will meet with Brigham and 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 
and the saints. And after that meeting, Joe, Brigham Young could see that Joseph Smith III was pretty antagonistic. But David Smith. Uh, and David would actually come back to Utah, spent some time in Idaho, and Brigham held out hopes that he would come back into the church so they could put him in the 12 so that he could ultimately be Joseph Smith's successor. Joe, Brigham Young always believed that one of Joseph Smith's sons should be a successor, but through the quarter of the 12. We should work up to it. Okay? And I, I've told the story before that uh, if you see a picture of David Smith, I think I'm looking at Joseph. You just go, go to Google and thumb him. For David Smith, Joseph Smith, he's the one that Emma was pregnant with at the time of the martyrdom. Uh, wonderful man. And it was his, it was that son that wrote The Unknown Grave that was in uh, one of our early hymn, hymnals. And it was that son, David Smith, that when he became, when it looked like he was turning, uh, he would then come back to Illinois and he would then be put in the same asylum. Most of the rest of the yes. he, he was prone to some depression and melancholy, but he was also put in the same asylum for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Okay, Carthage Convention. They now determined that the saints need to leave. Uh, antagonism is increasing, and Brigham and the saints finally say, we, have, we heard enough from Joseph that he'd anticipated they were going to have to leave Nauvoo. So we will leave in the spring, 1846. Uh, they're all set, and then they start, they're, they're on one side, they're completing the temple, on the other side they are uh, working like crazy. They're, they're turning all of their homes and everything into wagon building. Uh, places of enterprise uh, and then so now they're hurrying that the temple is now not yet completed but it's completed enough there's a partial dedication and endowments start like crazy starting about November, December January 1846 uh, 5,000 received their endowments uh, and then we're there's it, a vicious rumor that was spread was the fact that the neighboring cities were going to attack and burn Nauvoo to the ground. That's why it is that then suddenly the saints say, we will go now, and they leave in the middle of the winter. If you ever wonder why it is they left in, in February, and on February 6th is when Brigham crosses the, the uh, Mississippi, that's why they thought they were about to be attacked. So they couldn't wait till spring. That's tragic in the fact that they will then spend the month of March in the wettest March in Iowa history in one big mud puddle going across. They will then get to, uh, and then winter quarters will have the coldest uh, winter on record, uh, 20 below kind of thing. They just, they got out of the boat, the winds got worse at the, you know, thinking of Peter. Uh, you know, I was going to walk on the water, they got out and got worse. So now we have the long wagon trains heading down Party Street all the way back, and saints were off times then, receiving their endowments, uh, and then coming out, closing their house, leaving the house, climbing into the wagon, getting ready to go. 
In the case of any of you who have ever been to the uh, Brigham Young homestead in Nauvoo, uh, they will tell the story about how Sister Young, uh, she got to it, has ready to leave, she has her, her, her favorite china, and she will go out to the garden and bury her china in the garden uh, so that uh, uh, the mobs can't get her china. But she knows she does, she can't take it away. And then they found pieces of that later uh, when they started digging up the gardens down the stack of China. Yeah. Is there any evidence that the uh, inclement weather No, it really didn't. Because here's the problem. We're doing this winter exit. Now, the only the only advantage here is what is portrayed here. Uh, there is There was a time when the river froze, and they were able actually to move a lot more saints across the river quickly. Uh, I've, I've told the story before that I told each of my sons that before they went on their missions, I would take them to Nauvoo. When I took my second son, who was leaving in the middle of February, uh, we went to Nauvoo, and uh, we got caught in a massive snowstorm, and I didn't get a chance to show him as much of Nauvoo as I would like to. We were the only ones in the Carthage jail that day, had as much time as we wanted to to walk around the jail, uh, because the, the, uh, the senior missionary saw this crazy, this crazy car from Texas pulling around in two feet of snow, and they, and they said, why don't you come in? And we left our car in the middle of the road to go in and spend time in the, the Carthage jail. Uh, but when we, we then went back to our hotel in Keokuk, waited out the snowstorm, and then got started the next day, and, and it was on February 6th. Same day, and chunks of, massive chunks of ice were coming down the Mississippi that day. And we realized we were looking at what the saints had been in the middle of. Really felt Please. Oh, the, the outcome of that is that uh, they had such a powerful experience on my son that he, while he was there, went out on his mission and he wrote an article that was there. It's put in the, in the uh, area. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Oh, yes, that would make sense. Okay, so now we get this. Here comes the winter exodus. Um, one, one last thing I want to mention is uh, the Battle of Mulholland. Uh, and so let me put it this way. And kind of, kind of set this up. Because it's going to actually go to what we're going to talk about in just a second. Picture for a second that if we said to the saints... Uh, today, we can. Uh, the state of Texas has declared that we cannot, that Mormons cannot live here any longer. That we have to leave, and we have to go away. And President Monson says we have determined uh, that the gathering place is London, for all, or, or the Dominican Republic, and we have, and we're leaving this fall. Now, if that's the case, uh, how would we get to, let's say it was the Dominican Republic, how would we get there? Some would fly by plane tickets, right? Some might choose to drive. Or do we have enough? And then, oh, but wait a minute, and we get to the coast and we can't keep going. We have to find another way to get across. 
Yeah, maybe a cruise ship. But you know what? All of those are expensive. Do we have those in our midst that maybe wouldn't be able to afford a plane ticket? Would we have those in our midst that say, I think I'll join another church? <laughs> Do we have those in our midst that said, you know what? I'm hearing from some brethren that it would be all right if we stay. So I'm going to kind of wait to see if we really are going to end up in the Dominican Republic. So I'm going to kind of hang around. What if, what if we have families that are with husbands that are deployed and they, they don't have the ability or injury to get their now they're single parents? Yeah. Pull our money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pull our money. In other words, we're all trying to figure out based on our financial need, how are we going to do this? That's what was going on there. How do we get us all out of here? So by uh, late summer, most of the saints were now gone. Uh, uh, Nauvoo was a ghost town, except that there were still saints that were still there for a variety of reasons. They were poor. They were having a hard time getting going. Uh, sick. Ill health. They were they were sick. They had people that were still struggling with. Malaria. Uh, they're waiting for husbands to get back from their missions. So we still had a number of saints. And at that time, the mob said, we've had enough, we're coming in. Uh, so they then, uh, they then march on Nauvoo. Uh, we will now get this moment. It's almost like Les Miserables, where you get a barricade. And it's on Mulholland Street, the main street up on the bluff. Okay? Uh, where they will barricade it. This is where Wanda Mace will have sent off to, uh, and they, they pull an old cannon out of the Gulf of Mexico, they bring it up to Nauvoo, they, they refurbish it in, in the basement of the Nauvoo Temple, uh, and, and when the mob starts to come, they start firing this cannon off with it, whatever little metal things they can find, just to hold them at bay. Uh, but there will be, this is where the, but the mob will come in, they will push these final saints out of Nauvoo, they will then end up across the river where they have to camp and they're destitute and they really can't look across the river and see the rules. And they're starving. Huh? And Emma's there. In other words, Emma's saying, I'm saying, and they actually kind of, they kind of let Emma be. The, the mobs were going to kind of be kind to Emma because she was kind of saying, I'm, I'm not following Brigham anyway. She, she will kind of leave town for just a few days, but she will come back to the mansion house, and she's pretty much let be. This is the widow. We feel kind of a little bad about that. She's a widow, and she's saying, I don't want you to bring her to Okay? This is where we finally get the, the story you've heard about, the saints on the other side uh, that are starving, and the quail now descend on there. And, and, yeah. But uh, part of the problem is, is that it was right at this moment uh, that in the, in the summer here, Brigham in desperation, it has uh, jo uh, a Brother Little in Washington who's going to try and say, what do we do? We've got to find a way to get out of this predicament. He will go and, and war has just been declared between the United States and Mexico. And Brigham Young's representative, Brother Little, will go to the, the government and say, how about we put a, an army battalion together? And, and Thomas Kane a very influential man will, will feel that cause, will take it to the President, the Secretary of War, and they will then commission a, 
the only religious battalion in in United States Army history, uh, the Mormon battalion, uh, and they will be sitting pouring into uh, <coughs> winter quarters when uh, here will come the call from the Mormon battalion. Well. A number of the, the families of the Mormon battalion members, some are there in winter quarters, and they will decide to make winter quarters because they just sent 500 guys off. Some are the ones being pushed out of Nauvoo. So it's their families. Okay? And, and off goes the Mormon battalion. My pioneer, Arzenikin, goes off with, with that group, so I get his journal time. Mother Smith, Mother Smith stays with Emma. She's got grandkids, she's got Emma, and she will stay there with her. She she's very sympathetic to Brigham Young, but she stays. She she's very young. Yeah. yeah. If you've been in the if you've been in the mansion house, uh, yeah, Joseph Smith and Emma's bedroom, and then there's a little step down on the back part of their bedroom, and that was ultimately Lucy Mack's uh, kind of mother-in-law room right there after the death of Joseph Smith Sr. in 1942. All right. So that said, we have 45 minutes. Let's go to uh, section 136. I need to... Uh, the, the, the last thing I would mention here is that as the saints are pouring out of Nauvoo and across, uh, James Strange is is uh, in Nauvoo and then he's up in Wisconsin where they've been cutting wood for the temple. Uh, he's having visions and he's pumping out vision after vision after vision. And there are a number of the saints that are used to getting revelations from Joseph Smith. And so it's like, let's follow this strange guy because he's getting the visions and Brigham Young and pumping out visions very much. In fact, we got nothing. And, and Brigham's a little worried about that. Uh, the Lord will kind of take care of that, and he will have a couple of experiences. One, a vision uh, with, with Joseph Smith will come to him repeatedly, telling him what to do and how to do it. And then we're going to get this. Section 136 is now going to be revealed to Brigham Young while he's in winter quarters. Now, the thing that's fascinating for this and I'll show you, there is a point at which I hear Brigham's voice starting, and then you'll hear the Lord kick in. And there's a very clear demarcation for me. You get very practical, New Englander, Brigham Young, this is what needs to happen, do this, and then, and then listen to the Lord's language, and, and the rest of that sounds very much like the rest of the Doctrine and Covenants. It's the Lord's voice when it kicks in. Okay? But here's the first part. It's in Brigham's voice. The word and will of the Lord uh, concerning the camp of Israel. Uh, now, by the way, notice the date on this. January 14, 1847. They've now spent the winter. It's like 20 below in winter quarters because after the loss of the Mormon battalion, they decided there's no way. And spending a month getting through Iowa, there's no way we can get all the way out to the Great Basin in 1846. So we will hang out in Winter Quarters and across the river in Canesville, named for Thomas Kane that had helped organize the Mormon Battalion. Uh, okay. Let the people of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and those who journey with them be organized into companies 
with a covenant and a promise to keep all the commandments and statutes. Let the companies be organized with captains of hundreds, captains of fifties, captains of ten, with a president and two counselors at the head under the direction of the twelve apostles. The first presidency has not been reorganized yet. It will be another year later before that happens. And this shall be our covenant that we will walk in all the ordinances of the Lord. Now, this is kind of important, and this is pure bringing. And I'll tell you why. Let me go back to 1838. Joseph and the brethren are, in, are imprisoned in Hiram, or in, in Liberty Jail. Hiram's with them. And, and Sydney is gone. Oliver Cowdery has been excommunicated. Uh, W.W. Phelps has apostatized. There. And so now, this, this member of the Quorum of the Twelve that was about third or fourth or fifth, if you throw in Thomas Marsh and you throw in uh, David W. Patton who's killed at Crooked River and all that. Here's this kind of mid-member of the Quorum of the Twelve in terms of seniority, Brigham Young, who suddenly rises to the top because of a variety of experiences with all those above him. Okay? And the letter comes from Joseph from Liberty. The imprisoned First Presidency sent instructions to Heber C. Kimball and Brigham Young that said, Inasmuch as we are in prison, the management of the affairs of the church devolves onto you, that is, the twelve. Brigham Young was the senior apostle, hence the presiding church officer on the ground. Far West Saints met in a public meeting on January 26th to consider measures to expedite the move out of state, given the seeming impossibility of moving in consequence of the extreme poverty of many. We have to leave. How do we get this group of saints out of Missouri? Because we all have to be gone by spring, otherwise the governor's extermination order is in place. How do we do this? Listen to what Brigham Young did. And I think this was a preparation for him for what happens now in 1846. A seven-man committee was appointed to find out how many needed help and how much, how much help members could give to those in need. And listen, Brigham Young proposed that the saints covenant, make a covenant. This is called the Missouri Covenant. To stand by and assist each other to the utmost of our abilities in removing from the state and that, listen close, we will never desert the poor who are worthy. That's the Missouri Covenant. We will not desert our poor. We will not desert. Now, that's going to become really important. Because Joseph, as he's pushing out, or Brigham as he's pushing out to the Salt Lake Valley, will then come back to count on his way back to Winter Quarters. He will run into Party Pratt, who is now coming behind him with another company of saints. 
And Parley is feeling really good about himself. Because they're moving fast. They're moving quick. Why? Because they left the poor behind. They took the strong to move quickly. And, and Parley, and there'll be a big campfire, this meeting. Here comes Brigham coming back from Salt Lake. Parley coming forward with the company. Big campfire, big meeting. Uh, Brigham, I'm doing really good. We have made twice the time that you did. We left... Why? Because we left the poor badly. We'll go back and get them, but we're really hauling. We're making good time. How many times have you ever been on vacation with somebody who goes, I know, but we're not stopping for potty breaks, but man, are we making good time. You have, yes. Brigham will say to Parley, where are the families of the battalion boys? Where are the battalion boys' families? That's what they called them, the battalion boys. Where are the families? Oh, they're back in winter quarters. And, and I think some are actually still on the bank of the Mississippi over by Nauvoo. We ought to go get them at some point. And Brigham exploded. Based on the Missouri Covenant, we never abandon a poor and firm. And Party said, I have never received such a dressing down in my life. And, had, and, re, and ultimately uh, repented in tears to the Twelve, to Brigham. And the first thing that Brigham did when he got back was send uh, wagon trains immediately to go get those poor still sitting on the banks of, in Montrose, on the, on the Mississippi side of the We do not abandon Now, let me ask you, from, from our standpoint now, do we abandon our poor? Never. Talking to some saints uh, just, just lately that received church help and wondering at what point, now that they're in a better position, at what point do we pay back the bishop for the help that we got. When, when do we pay the bishop back? Never. The church doesn't do loans. Why? Because we take care of our poor. We take care of our own. It's called the atonement. We do for others what they cannot do for themselves. And it's not expected that there be ever a way that we can pay that we can be generous in our fast offering, but more than anything, the Lord is saying, feed my sheep. And this is one of the things Ray is talking about, how the, the beginnings of a downfall of society is when they turn their backs on the Look at the Book of Mormon. I've said that over and over. You always know when a city is about to be destroyed when they do two things. They stone the prophets, starve the poor. We do not abandon our poor. Now, that's going to be part of the theme here. If you go back to section 136, listen to what he's saying. And he's saying it to so many of these saints who have already now received their endowments. And he's saying, Let this be our covenant that we will walk in all the ordinances of the Lord. This is the Nauvoo covenant. But how different would this be from the Missouri covenant? 
We do not abandon our core. If we're going to keep the commandments, we take care of the poor. Who are the poor? And, and how much of that is financial? But how many in our midst are the poor spiritually? How many in our midst are the poor uh, doctrinally? Do we have the fatherless in our midst? Do we have those in our midst who are not fatherless but think they are? Because they believe God has abandoned them. They are the spiritual fatherless, and that's not true. The emotional poor that are struggling because of all the things that are going on, sometimes because of circumstances of tribulation in their life, but sometimes also because of genetics, and sometimes this is a, this is our poor, and we are all poor at some point, and we do not abandon our poor. We don't. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because they're kind of complaining and they're kind of naggy and they're kind of and they're poor. They're still poor and we still have a responsibility to rescue them and not leave them behind. Where where are they? They're still in Babylon. They're still on the banks of the Mississippi. Go get them. I think that's the same feeling that when when Brigham, that ten years later, is sitting in the tabernacle or in the bowery, and he's saying, uh, October conference, we got saints hundreds of miles from here out on the plains in hand cards. Here's our doc, here's our lesson for general conference today. Go get the cards. Drop everything else that you're doing and go. It's time to rescue. And you hear President Watson doing that right now. Go rescue. Don't abandon the poor. And I think, and this is the thing, when you start taking a look at here's this whole group of saints, and they're starting to move through tribulation together. And some are in a better position and some are not. And he's saying, this will be our covenant that we will walk in all of the ordinances of the Lord. Think about the Book of Mormon. When, when, they're saying, when, when uh, Alma is saying to the people at, uh, of, of Helam, and he's saying, how do you know that it's alright for you to be baptized? If this is the desires of your heart, what have you against being baptized? Now, take a step back, verse-wise. How do you know you're ready to be baptized? What did Alma tell him on that occasion? If you are willing to, what? Comfort those that stand in need of comfort. Mourn with those that mourn. Yes, do you hear it? Don't abandon the poor in spirit. And if you do that, you then make a covenant to do what? Rescue. Part of the deal. 
I was going to do... Let me do this. Um, My beloved brothers and sisters, I'm not certain just what our experience will be our judgment. surprised if at some point in that conversation God does not ask us exactly what Christ asked Peter. Did you love me? I think you will want to know if in our very mortal very inadequate and sometimes childish grasp of things, did we at least understand one commandment? The first and greatest commandment of them all. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And if at such a moment we can stammer out, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee, then he may remind us that the crowning characteristic of love is always loyalty. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. So we have neighbors to bless, children to protect, the poor to lift up, and the truth to defend. We have wrongs to make right, truths to share and good to do. In short, we have a life of devoted discipleship to give in demonstrating our love of the Lord. We can't quit and we can't go back. That's why we're pioneers as well. We can't quit and we can't go back. What an injunction. And in that case, we are very much like our ancestors. We have poor and that's why I love when we get into this this will be our covenant that we walk in all the ordinances of the Lord now, now by the way is this how tough is this why do we struggle so much with this do you think Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of times we have our own agenda. What right. What we want to do. And other times it's being willing, and along with that, being willing to submit our will, okay, and trust in the Lord that He knows what we need to do. But yeah, putting our will on the altar is sometimes really hard. Okay? Why else? Why else? Would we, if this is such a divine injunction, why do we struggle? 
She says, sometimes free agency, we really want to help people, and they don't want to be helped. Sisters, you are so bad about this. <laughs> Is there anything I can do to help? No, I'm just fine. Yeah, sometimes we're very poor. And, and, and accepting help would be some kind of weak. Brethren, we struggle with this. I can do it all myself. As a rescuer? Yeah. Uh, I, I know sometimes at, uh, we can say, as, our, as a home teacher, visiting teacher, we can pop in and say, anything I can do to help? And the answer to that is, no. We had a home teacher that was, he used to, he changed that a little bit because he had a, he, he felt inspired once in a home teaching setting to say to his sister, he started to say, anything we can do to help? And then he changed it the last time. He said, do your toilets work? And she said, no, they've been broken for a long time. And he says, can I fix your toilet? Please. Sometimes you've got to ask specific ways. Do your toilets work? He was inspired. He used to ask us that. Are your toilets working? Oh, they run a little bit, but yeah. Sometimes we will do that because we're not sure how to do it the right, help the right way without creating over-dependence. Yeah, I, sometimes there seem to be those that take a lot, and we're afraid that we're going to help too much. Yeah. Yes, I don't want to be the subject matter of the welfare meeting, so I will sit in my inadequacy and in my misery and in my lack of whatever because my dang pride won't get out of the way and allow people to help me. Yes. Well, I think it is divine, but there is a lot to do. In reality, there is a ton to do. Yeah. You know, finding our ancestors, going to the temple, doing all these things, but the Lord can make us Sometimes we just get overwhelmed by all the things that are out there that need to be doing so we don't do anything. Or we do some and then we feel guilty about everything we're not doing.
trying to say. This is our covenant. In other words, as we move forward as, as saints across this wilderness and this great expanse, we don't know exactly where we're going, but what we do know is that we have to move as a, as a group. We have to move as a team. We're going to put people in charge. So these companies, when companies are organized, let them go with their might to prepare for those who are to tarry. Why would some tarry? for the ones that are coming. We're already making preparations. Let each company with their captains and presidents decide how many can go next spring, then choose out a sufficient number of able body and expert men to take team seeds and farming to prepare. Let each company, verse 8, bear an equal proportion according to the dividend of their property in taking the poor the widows, the fatherless, and the families of those who've gone into the army, the battalion boys, that the cries of the widow and the fatherless come not into the ears of the Lord against this people. He was so afraid that they would abandon the poor and, that, and, and, and what was still ringing in his ears, to be quite honest with you, was Zion's camp. 
where the Lord smote them because of their attitudes and they started dropping like flies. Brigham had had the experience of Zion's camp and bringing people out of Missouri. So when it was time to leave the saints to Great Basin, he was seasoned and he was prepared. And what scared him the most was the fact that they would have the wrong attitude while they did it. All right, now, let me just say this. Boy, we've got 15 minutes. So you get all of this. He's talking, let each company prepare houses and fields for raising grain. Those that are able to remain for the season. This is the will of the Lord concerning the people. Let every man use all his... That's Brigham's voice. And then listen to the Lord kick in. And it happens, I believe, at verse 11. Here's the Lord's answer to what Brigham has just put out there. If ye do this with a pure heart in all faithfulness, ye shall be blessed. You will be blessed in your flocks, in your herds, in your fields and houses. Then the Lord is going to go through and start to organize the companies. Sixteen, let my servants that have been appointed go and teach this my will to the saints that they may be ready to go where? To a land of peace. Where was that land of peace? Some, yeah, somewhere out there. Some were saying Mexico. Lyman White was down here going, it's Texas. Come down here. Yeah, it was. That's right. It, it's out there. You're right. Samuel Brandon is going to say, it's in California. You know? And, and what, remember what Brigham, what does Brigham see in his mind? He's seeing the vision. Where are they going? They're going to the Great Basin. How will he know he's there? In Zipi. He had seen a vision in Zipi. See, he didn't know until he actually came down to the Immigration Canyon and he looked up and he saw Enzyme Peak and he this is, this is what Joseph showed. This is what we're supposed to do. Yeah, but the, the sea, the ocean here is like really solid. I had a good friend of mine who used to say, I, I, think, I think for Brigham, uh, we've always said that as a, an exclamation. This is the place. He says, I think it was a question. <laughs> This is the place. All the way across Wyoming and Nebraska, and this is the place. Okay, now, in the time that we have remaining, <coughs> let me just say this. What we now get in section 136, I'm just calling it Rules for the Road. And so here is. We're now going to take this group of people and we're marching them across Iowa and Nebraska and Wyoming. When was the last time anybody made a drive from like Evanston to Larry? Oh, mackerel. I'm trying to picture that thing. Okay. And, and so they come all the way across that to, to the valley. Like, so here's the rules of the road. 
how do we get the saints that are able and how do we not abandon our poor? How do we take care of everybody while we go through the midst of this tribulation? And we might say, how do we get our families as we roll into a darkening night of the world's history? How do we leave our families at a time when we're watching bombings and terrorist stuff going on and it just seems like it's getting darker? How do we... How do we get not just our families, but our quorums and our classes and our the people over whom we have responsibility in our college? How do we move them across the Wyoming of our life? How do we do it? And so here come the rules of the road. Here's how you take people and keep them focused on a land of peace, right? There's a promised land coming. We'll find a place which God for us prepared far away in the woods. Yes, it is. Because now you just get that flow that sounds like, if you read the first part of this, it's like, well, this doesn't quite sound like, you know, section 76 or, or any of those. And now here comes this beautiful flowing words. Um, if 19, as, you, as, we, as we take this journey into the, into the wilderness. If any man or woman seek to build up himself and seeketh not my counsel, he shall have no power and his folly shall be made manifest. In other words, part of what he's asking is, who are you building up? Zion or yourself? In my, in my daily activities, up myself or my buildings up. Anybody ever made a promise to do that? Somewhere? Yeah? Over and over? We promise to covenant everything we've got. I had an insight in the temple. I can, I can share this um, without, without talking about things that we're not supposed to talk about. When we are baptized, we are cleansed of our sins, right? And cleansed by the Spirit, the, burn, the burning, all that stuff. So now we're clean, okay? If that's the case, when we go to the temple... Why do we have to be washed? If we're already clean? Are we dirty? Do we carry something on us that has to be washed? Yes. Why are we carrying the blood and sins of this generation? And I can say that because I'll recall what Jesus said. It's cool. Why are we carrying that? Why do we have to be cleansed before we can go on and receive our endowment? Why do we walk into the temple dirty? Even though we've been baptized and we have we the temple recommend that says, I'm worthy to attend this, to go do this, this work. Why, are we, why do we have to be cleansed? And? Is it because we're accepting covenants of a higher law? What covenants are we accepting? The endowment? 
before we can do that, part of that Adama, yeah, what, what, covenant, what am I promising to do? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Why is it that King Benjamin and Jacob and, and others in the Book of Mormon say, I can now stand before you and shake my garment at you, and finally, at this moment, my garment is clean of your blood. Why? Because what have I done? I taught you. I, I brought the gospel to you. And now I'm clean. And, and, and conversely, he's saying, and I'm not clean unless I do what? Teach. Preach. Rescue. Testify. Fulfill. Until I do that, I have blood on my garments. The sins of others. I have a responsibility to let them know what I know. And that's why President Kimball has said, President Kimball said, in order to be disobedient, one only needs to do nothing. In order to be disobedient, one only needs to do nothing. Because we have responsibilities to rescue. Otherwise, we may be cleansed of our own sins, but we are carrying the responsibilities of those that needed to be rescued, and their, their struggles are on us. Because we, have, we were supposed to do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, many years ago, I was in the Marriott Center because Kimball was speaking, and the Marriott Center was full, and uh, he was teaching us a certain concept, and he said, "And when you come before the bar of God, don't say that you don't know this." And then he got out his finger and shook it like this, and said, "Because I." I am now clean of, of your responsibility. My, my responsibility is now fulfilled. Because I told you. By the way, Elder Bednar was in that same as a student who was also in that same. Yeah. yeah. I was just reading Loretta's journal. Right. Yeah. And it's not just because that would be a charitable thing to do. We have a responsibility to preach the gospel to our kids and anybody around us. Otherwise, we bear sin. Our, our garments will not be clean. That's frightening. Okay, so here's the rules of the road. And then we'll be done. If any man shall seek to build himself up, in other words, so now my job is to build up Zion... Get Zion to the land of peace. Get my family to the land of peace. Get my ward, get my quarter to the land of peace. Um, keep yourself from evil. Verse 21. I am the Lord thy God. And then listen to what he's going to evoke. Because he wanted them to see the parallel. I am the Lord your God. Even the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham. Of Isaac. And of Jacob, I am he who led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. 
Why would he invoke this image to be saved? They were being driven out of their homes to a new place. Yeah. I did it for Israel. You are Israel. I will do it for you. And I will invoke that image so that you put the two together. And from that point forth, the, those wagon trains would be called the camp of Israel. They got it. Amazing that they would then be led, led to a desolate place with one lake on one side and a river to another lake of sea, of salty sea. And you begin to see all of the parallels. And surprise, surprise, we'll call the River Jordan in between the, the freshwater lake and, and the bigger density. There's the parallels. You are Israel to me. I led Israel, your forefathers, I will lead you. I got you. So we're going to get all of these. I am cease to contend. Don't get drunk. Let your words edifying each other. Restore that which you borrowed. Um, if thou shalt find which thy neighbor lost, no, do a diligent search. Get it back to him. That thou may be diligent in preserving. You know, if thou art merry, praise the Lord with singing, music, dancing, and a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. Okay? I just picture these poor saints, you know, just poop like crazy and tired after a long day and Brigham wanted them to dance. <laughs> Break out the fiddle. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? Especially those of us from the Puritan area where we don't dance. And he says, yep, we are now dancing. It's like the story in our lesson yesterday, Lorenzo Snow, how... Uh, in the midst of poverty, he said, let's have a party. And yes. Decorated with... Yeah, with turn-up candles. Yeah. <laughs> and in and, and, and winter quarters. And, and they, were, they were like, what beautiful candles. Everybody should have turn-up candles. <laughs> and then let me finish with this. And it kind of brings us, it kind of brings us back around to what we started off with. 
Fear not thine enemies. 31. My people must be tried in all things. For that, that they may be prepared to receive the glory that I have for them. Even the glory of Zion. And he that will not bear chastisement is not worthy of my kingdom. Let him that is ignorant learn wisdom by humbling himself, calling upon the Lord his God, that his eyes may be opened that he may see, and his ears open that he may hear. For my spirit is sent forth into the world to enlighten the humble and the contrite. This was a people tried in all places. This was a people that had been to the furnace of affliction. They weren't perfect when they got to Salt Lake and they had their struggles. But the Lord said, I will have a tried people. Uh, I just don't think, in my mind, I know that sometimes we get to July 24th and we get a little tighter. Sometimes I get. But to kind of read what these people did is to just be an absolute awe of those that laid the foundation of this world. And we can do both at the same time. Or the storehouse they had pictured in the tree of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So when I picture one of the most compelling paintings I've ever seen, probably coming up Rocky Ridge. And so we have, we have in our heritage people we can just be so proud of. We'll see some of you Sunday night at the fireside.